You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron. I'm on the other line with EJ Snyder, Snyder's lead draft analyst. EJ, how you doing tonight? I'm good. We are post-Thanksgiving. Everybody survived. Turkey and mashed potatoes were had. Little apple pie was consumed. And the Bears offense looked explosive for a week. So uh, we'll talk a lot about that and who it was against. But I do not have any complaints right now. Yeah, not too shabby of a result, so we'll get into that in detail, but first we need some beverages. So do you have a beer today? I do have a beer today, and as we are recording on Sunday, so it is December 1st, it is officially okay to drink uh, beers with Santa in the title. Oh my. And I I have, uh, uh, back to a brewery I've had before, Pelican Brewing um, off the Oregon coast. And this is their Cascadian dark ale, seven and a half percent by volume. And it is, uh, titled bad Santa. And it's got a great picture of a Pelican with kind of dirty looking Pelican with sunglasses, a Santa hat, uh, smoking a cigar on the label. Uh, I've had it before, but I enjoy it. So that's mine. What's yours? Well, I have been promising to bring on a goose Island beer for a while. And with the victory against the Lions, I thought, okay, might be time. We're coming back. We've got the game in Chicago coming up against Dallas. Uh, maybe I grab a Goose Island beer. And it just so happens that Bourbon County uh, Stout just came out. Bum, and bum, I managed bum. to find myself a couple bottles. I don't know if you've had this or not, EJ, but it's quite the famous beer around here. Uh, comes with a very interesting little label around the neck where you can kind of uh, tear it off and keep it. I've, I've actually seen people like keep the labels because they're hand numbered uh, on the number of e- the, the year that it is. Oh. And so people will record <laughs> the number of Bourbon County stouts that they've had. So tasting notes on the back say uh, vanilla, toffee, chocolate, burnt sugar, and dried fruit. So yes, please. Uh, this is... <laughs> alcohol by volume. Wow. It is a pint plus a little bit. Uh, And so just so you know, it is already open and poured because I poured half of it in my wife. Because I'm not (laughs) going to drink that whole thing on the podcast. Oh, you don't want to slur? All right. Well, I'll open mine because mine's just a 12-ounce bottle. Yeah, there we go. Um, but that sounds, uh, from the tasting notes, quite delicious. Uh, from the alcohol content, um, quite dangerous. So I've had a couple of them over the years. They're, they're oh, I thought cheap. you were going to say tonight. <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't be on. Um, yeah. 
I've had a couple of them over the years. So it's you buy them individually. Well, I, I suppose you could buy as many as you want, but they don't come in like a four pack or a six pack or anything. And they're priced um, at the high end, I would say. Sure. You know, so for a for a sixteen ouncer, you know, this is. Uh, I think I paid eleven or twelve, and I know that other places will overprice them, and so. Some people might be listening to this saying, where did he get that for 11 or 12? I got a spot. So um, they are <laughs> very kind. I know a guy. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, they, they're very kind and not uh, gouging their customers. Uh, they are more of a volume place. So um, it's, a, it's a really good beer. I, I look forward to it every year. I know one year they had some issues where they had uh, a bunch of them got infected. And, oh, Ew. yeah, there were... Uh, a lot of there's a lot of rage against that since you're paying so much, but I I'm pretty sure they reimbursed everybody if they could, you know, prove that they bought it or whatever. But um, it's expensive, but it's quite good. It is very warming, and I think all of those notes are there as it warms up. You can taste different different uh, notes express themselves. So it's a really good beer if you're into that uh, bourbon barrel aged stout. But again, it's limited release this only happens at a certain time of year and you got to make sure you get it and you got to pay for it so uh good luck to those of you who are on the lookout and there you go speaking of barrel i did manage to find a bottle of uh jameson black barrel mm. uh, yesterday when i was out shopping and of course uh gifted myself early uh i'd not had it and i think that might be right up your alley um had a little bit over ice last night. Ended up texting you uh, after the first taste because it's. Uh, I think it's something you'd enjoy. Has a bit of a caramelly finish to it, but it's not overly sweet. It's fantastic stuff. So if you're a Jameson fan and you've tried their different variants, I think this is one of the best. And uh, happy holidays to you if you find some. It's good stuff. I like the Jameson Gold, but it's impossible to find, and that's pretty spendy too. So I uh, wouldn't mind a cheaper option that is actually available somewhere because I really have trouble finding that gold <laughs> um all right well great well we'll we'll get uh we'll sip on these again i've already taken two and i gotta pace myself because i might uh, go off the rails if i drink that whole thing too fast but let's let's recap this bears win so the bears get back to six and six they get a 24 to 20 thanksgiving win over the lions trubisky started things off uh early with a touchdown pass to Allen robinson for 10 yards uh and then <laughs> David Blau scored two touchdowns, including a 75-yard broken coverage, uh, Prince of Mukamara, to make it 7-7. Seven to seven, And then he had another one, uh, made it 7-14. to 14, And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. We're going to lose to a no-name rookie quarterback on Thanksgiving. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get through Thanksgiving if this is going to happen. Uh, exchange of field goals before the half made it 17 to 10 at the break. I went in and had a piece of pie and tweeted out that I was probably going to need uh, three slices and not two. Uh, second half, right away, Trubisky comes out, leads a drive down the field, and finds the man, Jesper Horstead, uh, for a fantastic catch that knotted it up at 17. That was just a thing of beauty. Uh, Prater kicked a field goal to make it 2017. That was right after Kyle Fuller saved a touchdown on an open field tackle that that thing needs to make the highlight reel for 2019. I know the highlight reel for 2019 will not be as long or glorious as 2018, but that was an absolute thing of beauty. 
and then a late drive, uh, and uh, Trubisky found David Montgomery in the end zone for a little three-yard little touch pass, uh, made it 24-20. to Lions did uh, uh, mount a little bit of a drive, but Eddie Jackson picked off a wounded duck to end the game. So, Bears won. They're 6-6 six and six on the year. They sweep the season series against Detroit, which I've been kind of tracking this. That allowed them to split the decade 10-10. to 10. You know, We had that rough patch where I think the Lions were 9-1 and one at some point. Uh, Matt Nagy improves to 4-0 against Detroit and 8-2 and against the division in his uh, year and a half plus on the job. So uh, pretty impressive uh, record from Nagy and a nice way to beat a bad team on a holiday. Uh, anything big picture that you took away from the game? Well, when you sent me that Nagy stat of 8-2 and two versus the division, it definitely opened my eyes. There's been a lot of questions about Matt Nagy, but you've got to win division games in this league uh, if you want to make the playoffs. I'm not saying the Bears are going to make the playoffs this year, but I don't think most people feel like Matt Nagy is 8-2 and two versus the NFC North. Um, owning Detroit is fun. Uh, that'll lead to some off-season banter, I'm sure. Um, uh, there's a Lions fan at work who came up to me uh, before this game, it was Wednesday as I was leaving, and he said, "Man, you guys are going to kill us." And I said, "I don't, I don't. We're not killing anybody." He said, "Yeah, neither are we." And I'm sure he had to be gutted about the loss. But four and zero versus Detroit, and eight and two versus the division is a very important mark. Now he's obviously Nagy's got to get the wins up against the rest of the league, um, but that's a pretty good showing. Other than that, it was really fun to see Chicago's offense work. Uh, and that is be um, take advantage of some of those routes that Nagy schemed open. Um, have guys all over the offense make plays. You talked about the Jesper Horstead um, reception for a touchdown. That's a guy we've wanted to see get some playing time since some good showings in the preseason. Just came off the practice squad a couple of weeks ago. Makes a big play. Um, you know, you could say a game turning play because they didn't win by more than a score. Um, and we'll talk about the receivers as well, but just the receivers, the running back, everybody getting into it. And it's nice to see the offense have that kind of a game. The defense has had several of those, but we've only seen kind of one and a half of those out of the offense, the other Detroit game and the game against Washington. Other than that, it's been pretty frustrating this year. Like you said, the 2018 highlight reel is chock full. The 2019 highlight reel is is pretty sparse. Um, so it hasn't been a ton of fun to watch Bears offensive football this year, but uh, it was on Thanksgiving, and that's a nice change. Yeah, well, let's talk about the what is the talented Mr. Biscuit when he plays the Lions, right? So he something comes out in Mitchell Trubisky, and maybe it's just the fact that the Lions aren't very good at defense. But 29 to 38, 338 yards, three three touchdown passes, an interception, but that accounts for a 118 quarterback rating. It's his second best game of the year, statistically speaking. The first best game was against Detroit also. So I think this is the first time he's gone over 300 yards on the year. Uh, it was... It seemed to me that he was able to hit the intermediate throws. He was able to find Robinson quite a bit. He was able to find Anthony Miller quite a bit. Uh, that nice pass to Horstead. I mean, it was a, a nicer catch, but it was a, it was a pretty good throw too, in, in my opinion. And so, I, something happens when he plays the Lions, and again, is that just bad defense, or is that something about? Uh, something about the scheme 
that he's able to pick apart. I'm not sure, but uh, he definitely had his best two showings this year. And you had a stat that you were sharing with me earlier. Yeah, so Trubisky has thrown six touchdowns now against Detroit, um, which is great. That's, you know, considering he only played two games, that's three apiece. He has seven against the rest of the league. Right. Uh, that's not good. So he's thrown half his touchdowns against Detroit, and unfortunately he doesn't get to play half his games against Detroit. So it doesn't really balance out. And to answer your question, I think it's a little bit of both. There, he Something definitely happens to Mitch when he plays Detroit. If I was Imagine being a Detroit fan and really only paying attention to Trubisky when he played your team, the Lions. Uh, you'd you'd think he was really good. Like You'd be like, man, every time we go up against that guy, he just tears us limb from limb. And you know your team's not very good defensively, but Trubisky looks very solid, so it's a little bit of both. I don't don't think the scheme changes that much, but you did see more comfort from Trubisky than you normally do in things like collapsing pockets. He didn't look afraid or really harried by the rush several times. He stood in and delivered deep balls with accuracy. You don't see that on a week-to-week basis. Usually, especially early in the season, the knock on Mitch was one read and eyes down and then just frantic sort of deer in the headlights scrambling, and that's it. The play was never going to go anywhere because he didn't have his eyes back up to the receivers. There were times against Detroit where – even if he was only on his first or second read, he stood there and waited. The route came open again, deeper route. You got to wait a little bit and he hit it. So he definitely looks, and I'm not sure what switch gets flipped again with Mitch, but he looks more comfortable against the lions. He lets things develop. And that's why we see some of those longer plays come to fruition. They didn't, you didn't have a chance for those earlier in the season, but versus Detroit, he will sit in and let some of those go. And that was probably the difference in the game. Well, let me go back to one thing you said is that if you were a Lions fan, you would think now at least all the Lions fans that are active on Twitter, they make it sound like Trubisky's the worst quarterback to ever play the game. And that runs counter to what they've seen in real life. But again, we know by now that Lions fans aren't the most rational fans in the NFL. So we'll just leave that for what it is. Um, as going back to Trubisky, though, you wonder if it's a, it just, it's totally a mental thing, right? He's like, I'm comfortable with it. I've had success against these guys. I'm comfortable against them. I know, I know what I can do and they're not changing it up on the defense. Uh, I've already seen this. I've already beat this. So let's just go play. And, you know, again, playing NFL quarterback is one of the hardest jobs. It, well, it is the hardest job in all of sports, right? And so you play all these different teams. You're studying all week. You know, that he has not seen a lot of football. We've talked about this a lot. But he has not seen a lot of football overall in his life. And so at some point, he's learning a lot of how to break down a lot of these defenses or a lot of these little nuances every single week. Whereas if he's already kind of figured out a team – and they're not necessarily changing who they are. They're not changing their stripes, uh, so to speak. Well, maybe that's what's given him this extra confidence that he can do this. I, I mean, I know that they're just not good, and it might just be the easy answer is, well, they're just not talented, and that's why he's taking advantage of them. But it, I think it might be something to do with he has this figured out, right? And that that's what it felt like a couple times like Tampa Bay last year. 
is like he was able they they pretty much just stuck in their zone and he just picked them apart and so I, I wonder if there's something to do with schematically against the Lions he feels comfortable with the matchups as he that he has and he's able to just pick them apart well he definitely trusts the one-on-one ball on the outside versus Detroit much more so than he does against I'll say any other team um, but certainly any of the teams he's faced even this year even Washington he didn't let those deep balls down the sideline and one-on-one coverage ball that we would say when he let it go it was 50-50 and you know, he gives his receivers a chance against Detroit. There were several times, three or four times during the game versus Detroit, where the receiver was maybe a half step open, and that's open in the NFL, let's be honest, right. but it hasn't been open enough for him to let it loose against other teams like the Rams um, or the Packers. And against the Lions, he's again willing to stand in keep decent mechanics and let that ball go and let Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller go make plays on those deeper footballs. And they're thrilled. You can tell Um, nothing more frustrating as a receiver to run all those routes, have some of them schemed open, be open or think you're open. Receivers always think they're open and not seeing a lot of footballs come your way. And then suddenly you show up on Thanksgiving and Mitch is letting it fly and you get to go make some plays. And they did. They're good receivers. They made some plays and that, sort of feeds off itself you and it it definitely feeds mitch's confidence he's like see i threw it up they caught it we picked up 15 20 25 yards and the, the one thing about the broadcast team i did end up watching this game at home uh thanks to the generosity of my in-laws uh which was very nice uh but uh, the broadcast team, so I got the full commentary from um, Buck and Aikman, and Troy was saying, oh, Trubisky's not just not completed anything down the field. And this was sort of uh, late in the second quarter, well into the third quarter, and I was like, man, he's thrown a bunch of balls, uh, you know, 15 to 20 yards. What what are you looking for? And, and there's just not that many truly deep opportunities, whether you consider that 25 yards or more or whether you consider that, you know, 30, whatever. There's not that many throws in the NFL that are that long anymore. Um, Very few teams are going to air it out more than three, maybe four times a game at that distance. So I thought it was a little um, unfair or or just um, not exactly uh, representative of the way the league is. And then, of course, he hit that ball deep deep down the sideline to Anthony Miller and uh, he loosened up on Trubisky a little bit after that for fairing it out. But um, there's just not many of those throws. And even during that throw, Miller was pretty well covered. And Mitch let it go, and, and Miller makes a play. Barely, he's bobbling the ball. But, you know, bottom line is it's a game of inches, and Miller made the play. Yeah, well, let's talk about Miller. Uh, nine catches for 140 yards, just a giant game for him. I mean, the nine catches is a lot of catches in, in this league. And Allen Robinson right behind him with eight and he had 86 yards and a touchdown and so without taylor gabriel in the lineup you saw trubisky go to those two guys and really pepper them with targets uh you know horse said i think only had the one catch uh a beauty at that of course but uh, he only had one catch and with adam shaheen now placed on injured reserve not that he was doing anything anyway besides taking up space. But now that he's on injured reserve, expect to see more of Jesper Horstead. We don't know exactly how long Taylor Gabriel will, will be in the concussion protocol. But, you know, it, do you think that that's, 
the, the split between those two where they're kind of gobbling up the targets is going to continue? Or do you think we'll see more uh, options emerge like Horstead or maybe, I don't know, Riley Ridley, maybe if he can run off, run out on the field when he's supposed to and not right before the snap? Um, yeah, you know, yeah was, they said that was a coaching error, so okay, it's tough to <laughs> tough to understand whether or not that was his fault and they were covering for him, uh, which is totally possible, or whether it really was you know, them late getting the call and, and a coverage and getting him out there. Um, but we had talked about this um, actually, and I think our podcast with Jonathan Wood at the beginning of the year about how we thought the targets were going to split up and what we assumed would be sort of the receiver hierarchy at the end of the season. And we pretty much all settled on Allen Robinson will be the clear number one, the alpha Anthony Miller will move clearly into the number two role. Gabriel will fade to the number three role, uh, even though he may be the starter at outside for the whole season that Miller would come on from the slot yardage wise and, and be a more dominant force. And then we had questions about where the ball was going to sort of be spread around because there's a lot of other talent. Um, We'd seen Wims do well. There was questions about Shaheen. Everybody wanted Burton to get more involved. Um, Montgomery can catch. Um, You got to figure out where to get the ball to Cohen a few times. And everybody was, there's just not enough footballs to go around. Um, It's a bit of a delayed reaction, but Miller seems to be ascending um, with Gabriel out of the lineup. Gabriel's targets haven't been that efficient this year. He's certainly not the the force he was last year. Again, the offense is in a downward trend overall, but we started to see guys like Javon Wims come on and make four or five catches uh, that clearly were sort of chain moving catches. And he's using that big body, made some good breaks for a guy of his size. Um, we both thought Wims had talent. It was nice to see him display a little bit of that. And then a guy like Horstead comes on as a, as a changeup. Some, probably somebody the lions are not assigning a lot of importance to or coverage responsibility to. They're going to, if you're on the goal line, I'm going to probably double Allen Robinson or Anthony Miller. I'm not going to double just for Horstead. And if he can take advantage of that one-on-one coverage, even if it's only for two or three or four targets a game total, um, you know, for two or three catches, we saw the difference. It could be a touchdown catch, uh, a little bit easier than throwing to a double down Robinson. So I would keep Gabriel out of the lineup for now. I like the production with him out. Miller seems to be more comfortable as that solid number two. Certainly had a huge game, like you said. And Wims is starting to come along. It'd be great to see if they have something with Horstead. Um, and sort of spread those targets around. I'd, I'd like to see it for the rest of the year, and I think sort of forcing Gabriel back into the mix when he wasn't being all that productive while he was there might be the wrong move just for chemistry, for balance. Uh, Mitch certainly looks more comfortable with the current lineup, so um, you know I would ride that until the wheels fell off, and that might be next week, but um, you know, let's see. Yeah, if you look at the targets right now, Allen Robinson's obviously the top target. He has 108 targets on the year, uh, 71 of those uh, he caught. So, you know, he's he's leading all categories, which we expected. Tariq Cohen's the, the next highest targeted uh, receiver with 74. Then it's Miller with 63. And then you have to go down to Gabriel at 48, Montgomery at 32, and then it just sort of dives off. Wims. As 20, he has a chance to, obviously, he'll go above Burton at some point. Burton has 24, so he'll finish, you know, in that top six. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that we were 
pretty much right on of what we anticipated. Cohen's got 74 targets to Montgomery's 32. I don't think I would. I, I might have even thought it would have been a little bit higher towards uh, Tariq, but that's not unexpected in, in any way. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Miller really thrives in that number two role. I know that a lot of people want to send Gabriel out of town, and his play recently has not necessarily uh, helped cause, but I, I, I do think that he is a talented wide receiver when he's when he's healthy. Right, But if Miller really does thrive in that number two role and you have an opportunity for some of these younger guys to come in and, and have productive targets as a number three wide receiver, you have all the reason you need to, to free up some of that cap room. So I think it's only possible. But let's flip to the other side of the ball because I know that you want to talk about Roquan Smith and his big day because someone came after you on Twitter about Roquan being a poor man's son. I don't even know who he's talking about. And Roquan Smith, man, 15 tackles, had two sacks. Uh, he was all over the place. It, he's just looking like everything we wanted him to be when the Bears drafted him high up in the first round. So what would you see from Roquan? And floor is yours. Yeah, so um, somebody tweeted at me that if I saw anything besides a young Landon Roberts when I looked at Roquan Smith, that it was my bias doing all the work. And I take bias pretty seriously. Um, I'm an evaluator. That's my gig. Um, I always need to do self-scouting to get better. I'm not always right, Um, sometimes not even close, and you need to learn from your losses. And it took me back, and I said, all right, let's be objective about this. Let's not get mad about it. What's he talking about? And he's talking about Roquan getting lost in coverage, not having pass rush moves, um, being athletic, and just at the wrong place in the scheme. Uh, pretty generally. And when I went back and looked again, sort of took a second look and thought, well, you know, what's, what's right about this and what's wrong. Most of it's wrong. Roquan took a few games and I do mean a few, I would say two and a half to three, uh, after his holdout to really get up to speed and that, you know, completely reasonable being a rookie in the NFL, moving into the starters role, holding out for longer than anybody in his rookie class that made perfect sense. But he started playing very effective and, um, quite frankly, highlight-level football very soon after that and continued at that for the balance of 2018. 2019, uh, there was an issue. We don't know what it was. Um, We don't need to know what it was. Whatever he went through, he went through a patch where he was not effective, didn't look like he wanted to be on the field, wasn't contributing. And since he's come back from that, it took, again, about two weeks after that for him to sort of get back up to speed, to get back to involvement. And since that time, he's been playing, again, at a very high level. You mentioned the 15 tackles and two sacks. Interesting stat came out the day after that, uh, day after the Thanksgiving game on Twitter. said uh, he's the third player in NFL history to record 15 tackles and two sacks in the same game. And one of the other two was Patrick Willis. So if you're the third guy in NFL history to do anything, you're doing okay. NFL history stretches back a hundred years now. And if Patrick Willis is one or the other guys, Patrick Willis is a hall of fame linebacker. I'm not saying Roquan's a hall of fame linebacker. He hasn't earned that yet, but he's playing at an extremely high level and he looks exactly like a defender you'd select in the top 10. 
you'd like to get them to look just like that, to play like that, to produce like that, to lead like that, to be able to cover tight ends like that. Um, the sacks he picked up um, weren't great rush moves. Yeah, I'll give you that. But it's Huspeed and the ability to pull the trigger as an inside linebacker and say, I'm going to go get that guy. Roquan's got all of that, and he's displayed it more times than not. So the idea that he's um, sort of young and raw and athletic and just all over the field, not contributing to the sort of defensive outcome or scheme integrity is, is off base. Well, I don't really understand the comparison because the Landon Roberts is the Patriots like partner starter inside linebacker, right? I mean, he's fine, Mm -hmm. but he's not really an impact player. And yeah, he got drafted because he was super athletic out of Houston. He was very raw. A lot of people saw potential. He had some pass rush production in the similar kind of role at Houston, which was a uh, like a I want to say a temp role, but a, a situational pass rusher. Let's put it that way. And he was super athletic, but he was also switching positions. And and there's just there's not a lot similar between Alamden Roberts and Roquan Smith at the end of the day. It's a weird comp. I like comps yep. because they're they give you an idea of like, hey, this guy's basically you know he's uh, Rich Gannon, but he runs a little better. And you're like, oh, okay, I can kind of I remember what Rich Gannon <laughs> played like, and like, okay, he's not like a statue like Rich Gannon. You know, like those are helpful for people. It's like an analogy, right? It's it's yeah. helpful for people to kind of process quickly. I know a lot of a lot of scouts don't like them. I don't think you really use them very often. I, I comps are just fraught. There's uh there's a lot that go into comps and you really have to be very specific about the sort of when uh you're playing when you're comping a player. Like if I said Brett Favre, would you say end of career like Vikings Brett Favre or middle, you know, Packers when he was just destroying people at will sort of Hall of Fame Brett Favre or like Brett Favre with the Falcons. I always think Brett Favre with the Jets. Isn't everybody think that? <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, but you did. So there you go. Okay. Well, you know, when everybody says Brett Favre, I just think, oh, he turns the ball over a lot. That's generally my, my evaluation. <laughs> that might be why you're not a scout, but there you go. Just a little limited. Anyways. Okay. I'm comps a Bears very, first. Yeah, no. Comps are very fraught, and a lot of people throw them out there. And you're right. The reason that everybody likes them is it gives it gives the average fan something tangible to say, oh, I kind of get it. Like, that'll, that'll put it in the ballpark. And if you use comps that way, that's fine. It's when you say, oh, it's exactly like, or he's a clone of, or, you know, he's going to be a 10-year starter because he's just like blank, where you sort of get into trouble with comps. Right. Right. Well, I want to cover one more thing from this Lions game, and that is the defensive breakdowns that we saw. Now, they they were early, but the first one looked to me like Prince Mukamara thought that he had help over the top, and he did not. And that allowed a very easy pitch and catch for a 75-yard touchdown to Kenny Galladay. Uh, the next possession, that next touchdown looked like there was some confusion as well. A couple guys pointing at each other, kind of shrugging their shoulders like, hey, wasn't that yours? Wasn't that yours? Uh, I think there was another time that Prince uh, looked like Prince was playing zone and everybody was playing man. And so uh, what what the heck's going on? <laughs> uh, 
In terms of the breakdowns, I can't tell you because I don't know what the call was. I don't know if he was supposed to have help over the top, but it's uh, I have concerns about Prince Mukamara. I had some before the season. Everybody said, no, no, he's a great corner. He's playing awesome. Just leave him doing what he's doing. He's fine. You and I had expressed some concern about boundary corner as a depth issue that Look, if Prince or Kyle Fuller got hurt, Bears don't have a lot. It's Kevin Tolliver time. You don't really want to be starting Kevin Tolliver against a lot of number two wide receivers in the NFL. So that's a that's a matchup problem. And the Bears don't have a lot in the cornerback cupboard, if you if you will. So Mukamara played pretty solidly last year with a great pass rush. He had his ups and downs. I worried about that. People said you're nuts. This year he's had even more ups and downs. The play against Galladay, whether or not he had help, uh, he wasn't running very well. And he played press. A lot of people say, look, he's a great press corner. He's a bad zone corner. I think generally that's true. He was playing press. And Galladay got by him. Now, Galladay is a physical specimen, big guy, fast guy. I get it. But watching Prince try and run with him, even after he got by, Prince didn't look right. He may be hiding an injury. I'm not sure. He dove for an interception later in the game, was slow getting up, went to the sideline, did come back into the game. But he may be playing through an injury. And if he is, all credit to Prince for trying to be a tough guy out there. Again, the Bears don't have a lot behind him. Kevin Tolliver did eventually come into the game for a few downs. Uh, Prince Mukamara does not look great right now. He is a completely average corner in the NFL. And by average, I don't mean good average. I mean average, average, like solidly in the middle, making maybe half the plays, but losing the other half. There have been some plays that have gotten away from him this year, and he's just gotten lucky. The guy didn't catch it. The quarterback didn't see it, whatever. And, of course, that doesn't go down on a stat sheet. But if you look at that play, that corner is not providing really solid coverage on that play. The mixed coverage you were talking about later that looked like he had several plays in in the Detroit game, this game in Thanksgiving, when he didn't look like he was providing any pressure. He'd start with about a 12-yard cushion, and the receiver ended up breaking it off at about five yards cushion at the catch, and he'd go in and make the tackle. That's not effective cornerbacking. Um, that's just a guy playing a little bit too far off and not having any break on the ball. He has no chance to break up the pass. He's got to go in and make the solid tackle, which he usually does. But I think the string is done for Prince in Chicago. And Chicago needs one, maybe two good options at boundary corner uh, at the end of this year. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they're active in both free agency and with the limited draft capital if they prioritize that. Though there is a lot to prioritize in this offseason. I know that EJ and I both talk about this, and you can kind of, if you've been listening to us, you can tell that we're already kind of thinking about the offseason. We're not there yet, and we, we're not going to go down that road. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely some some big things for the Bears to consider in this offseason as they try to reload for uh, a 2020 run. But let's uh, let's talk about the Dallas game after a quick break. All right, EJ, let's get into Dallas. So Dallas comes in at 6-6, six and six, familiar record. Uh, they are actually in first place in the NFC East with a 6-6 six and six record, which, boy, that's, that's terrible. Uh, they, they, uh, the Eagles lost to the Dolphins, so the Eagles are a game behind them. And then uh, the Giants and Washington are both... Uh, two, three win. There are two, three win teams, and so yikes! What a, what a, what a tire fire division. So listen to Dallas's wins this year. 
They are against the Giants, Washington, the Dolphins, the Eagles, the Giants again, and the Lions. Dallas hasn't really beat any good teams this year. The best team on that list is Philly. And so you have to have a little bit of optimism coming into this game that the Bears can do this thing, right? So if you're one of those, if you, the listener, are one of those people that are still holding a candle for the Bears to get that sixth seed, obviously you're thinking that Bears have to win out. They're going to have to finish this year at 10-6 and six for this to happen. If that happens, if the Bears win this Thursday, uh, that means you've got Dallas in your rearview mirror. You can no, you no longer care about what happened to the NFC East teams. Neither of them are going to make a run to hit the wild card. Right? So that is like the the next team you have to leap over. So you know if that's if that's where you're at in your mental state, this is important for obviously to keep the Bears on track to get up to 10 wins, and also it's important to just put another team behind you. So uh, big picture thoughts about Dallas and what you've seen. I don't know if you've watched a lot of Dallas games, um, but what you've seen of Dallas before we get into kind of keys to how to beat them. Well, what a difference three makes. When we were talking about the Bears' schedule early, both with Jonathan Wood and with Lester on the podcast and sort of even with Sam, thinking about which games the Bears would likely win. Dallas looked like a tough game all the way around. Good roster, um, very good offensive line, some great linebacking talent, some firepower on offense, a young quarterback in Dak who looked like he was putting it together, whether or not he's a great quarterback is debatable but he was distributing the ball and has been distributing the ball pretty well he's having a decent season but yeah their win record is not sterling and um the time when you hit a team in your schedule is kind of everything and right now dallas is in as much disarray as anybody in the league they too uh played on thanksgiving they lost the scene in their locker room was described as um not great there was a lot of yelling and screaming um not the positive kind and uh jerry jones had some tears said that he wasn't going to fire their coach and jason garrett now that's a strange admission to make after any particular loss but dallas is i don't want to say bottoming out but um floundering as much as they have been at any point during the year they're not a great team right now they have uh, a lot of talent but we all know that talent doesn't make a team and they're not playing particularly well, so the Bears do have a chance, and you kind of get that ski hope welling up in you again and saying, oh, the Bears have a chance here. The Bears put together a couple of wins, and Dallas is kind of sliding. And, yeah, I think the Bears do have a chance against Dallas, especially because of the time they hit them in the year. But if Dallas is able to somehow sort of right the ship, turn it around, they can certainly out-talent the Bears and maybe run them into the ground. I don't see that happening. I see this being a pretty good game with Chicago having a chance to win it. Yeah, well, let's talk about what I think are the keys or the things that we have to talk about. So with Dallas, I, I don't know if it's just because of when I grew up, but you think of Dallas as the triplets, right? You got Aikman, Irving, and Emmett Smith. And it feels like Jerry Jones wanted to recapture that magic, right? So he has Dak, he's got Zeke Elliott, and then he went out and got Amari Cooper last year. And so let's talk about those triplets, if you will. So I think Dak 
has been playing very well for the most part. I don't think he played particularly well on Thanksgiving, but uh, overall his his numbers are really good. Uh, this offense looks like it has been much more creative at times than it has been in the past. Uh, bringing in Kellen Moore as an offensive coordinator has really helped open things up. But again, they kind of revert back to that old school Jason Garrett super conservative offense uh, a lot, and you have to wonder who's making the call win. And I I don't know. Uh, as well as Dak is playing in a, in a year where he could get a contract, uh, probably if not, he would just be franchised. You, you wonder why this team isn't getting better results, and you wonder if it's not for the best for them to part ways with Jason Garrett, you know, two years ago, but at least probably at the end of this year. But you're right. Like, this team is is susceptible to a good defense to to stop them, and I think the key is to focus in on trying to take away Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper is definitely their number one. I think Michael Gallup's a nice number two, but if if we're going to stop this passing game, if Chicago's going to stop this passing game, again, I'm not doing anything. Um, I think it's 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 got to start with that's probably well I'm just I keep saying we and I know I do that and I don't mind it doing it but I don't want you know I don't want to get the whole like well you didn't do anything you're right I don't so Amari Cooper I think is the key to to try to slow down uh, in this game and maybe maybe you can't uh, but I think I would like to see Prince step up um, I think Kyle's been playing pretty well this year uh, I know he gets a lot of uh, negative. Uh, flack from some of the fans because he gets a lot of balls thrown at him, but I think overall he's been playing pretty well. But I think those it's really going to be on those two guys to try to slow this this combo down um, and try to keep Dak uh, limited. And I think more than anything, Dak's been very successful on play action this year, and so it's going to be important to not get sucked up into the force field that is Zeke Elliott and. and you know, stay disciplined to make sure that you're limiting that pass uh, that Dak has been so successful with this year. So what do you think about Dak Prescott? I think Dak's been doing a good job in a not great situation. I do think he's pre- – I don't want to say pre-limited. He is limited. All quarterbacks have their limits. Um, he, he's limited in some certain ways. They have schemed around it for the most part, and he's played very well with inside – inside of that structure that they've created for him. I think the key for Chicago stopping this Dallas offense is the same thing that we've seen. And luckily they've done it pretty well. They've been very good against the run in the last few weeks. Been shutting down the run early and forcing the offense, the opposing offense to go to its secondary plan. If I'm looking at Dallas, that initial shutdown is you got to stop Zeke. Zeke is a tough running back. They do have some talent on the offensive line. They've had uh, certainly more shift there than in, in previous years. They haven't been running it as effectively part of that scheme, part of that personnel. The Bears have certainly struggled with that themselves. But the Bears' defense has really risen to the occasion for the last couple of weeks, bottling up the run and doing it quite effectively. Um, that's really the start for Pagano's defense. If he does that, then they're sort of off the scripted plays and on to, on to page two. Uh, I know the Bears' defense doesn't do mirroring that much. That is assigned Kyle Fuller to a player as opposed to a side. Um, this game might be the exception to that. I would probably have Fuller shadow Amari Cooper. I'm not as worried about Gallup. Gallup is a good number two wide receiver, but Fuller is clearly the best Bears outside corner right now, and Cooper is definitely 
the Cowboys' top threat. So stopping him is going to be option number two. After that, uh, the Cowboys are, if you make Kellen Moore and, and Garrett go to the third option, I think the Bears have a decent chance to win the game. So stop Zeke, stop the run. They've been very effective at that. They just need to continue. Got to have good gap integrity. Got to hit it hard and fast, close those lanes off. They've done a great job of that. If they're managed to do that, the sh- the focus really shifts to Cooper. That's probably going to lie largely on Kyle Fuller's shoulders. Uh, maybe a little bit of Eddie Jackson uh, doubling up or, or giving kind of 1.5 coverage. And after that, you know, again, if they can shift the Cowboys off that, you know, 1A, 1B plan and get them into option three, I think they have a very good chance to stack win this game. Yeah, just a, a note on the running game. I mean, this, this Dallas offense the last few years has really committed to Ezekiel Elliott. He has a couple rushing titles. I don't think he's going to get that again this year, but he is leading the league in carries, at least the last time I looked. So this is still a team that relies on him quite a bit and is willing to really force feed him. He does that stupid thing where he's like eating out of a cereal bowl, miming, miming, eating out of a cereal bowl and a spoon. Um, And they really do that. They really do feed him as much as possible. And so even at times to their detriment. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see this up close. I've watched a couple Cowboys games. It does seem at times that they go out of their way to continue to give Zeke carries. It's almost like they're playing Madden and they just want to win the rushing title or unlock some sort of, you know, <laughs> achievement <laughs> or something. Like, well, i got to get 100 yards this game. You know, it yeah. doesn't make sense no, sometimes. With but uh, he uh, he's a good back, but he's not having the t- kind of season that he's had you know, previously, that was kind of like the story with the, against the Giants, right? With Saquon is he has a really talented back, but he just ha- hasn't had the quite the success he had in the past. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying I'm not worried about Zeke, but I really do think that the key to this game is going to be to try to uh, shut down or or limit Amari Cooper and what he can do in the passing game. And so that's that's what I'm looking at most. I want to flip it to the other side. And I was looking up defensive ranks for Dallas, and they are 18th against the run and 18th against the pass. So they are a perfectly average unit. And so they're not going to wow you in any facet of the game, but they're not going to probably get blown out either, right? And with the Bears being as bad as they have been on offense, for most of the year, non-Lions games, uh, particularly, you know, the, the question is: <laughs> Do we think Trubisky can continue what has been solid play against a team that's league average? I'd like to see him continue some of the tendencies that he's shown, which is to stand in the pocket a little bit longer, to bring the run in when he needs to. We've seen more Trubisky runs over the last couple of weeks than we have over the entire season. And again, Trubisky's got some pretty goals and can keep drives alive with that. And that's the difference in the NFL. Going three and out is not a recipe for success. If you can keep the drive alive for a couple of extra series and she's been using his legs to do that, 
good on you. That's fantastic. We saw Tannehill do it um, in the Titans game. If you have a guy that can take off and get some yards with his legs and does and is willing to, and that's been the problem with Trubisky is he hasn't been willing to. Maybe it was the injury. Maybe it was mental. Who knows? Maybe it was just telling him not to. You never know. But over the last couple of weeks, you've broken that seal. So I'd like to see some of those tendencies continue. And then the Dallas defense, I think you bring up a great point. They have a bunch of talent on that defense. The talent is not concentrated in the secondary, especially at the outside corners. They got Byron Jones, who's playing very well, um, a bit like Kyle Fuller. And after that, there's not a lot of talent at those outside corners. And the Bears have enough receiving talent to take advantage of that. And it's going to require that you do the same thing you did in the Lions game, which is see a guy one-on-one and say, hmm, I'm going to give him a chance. I'm going to throw this ball up there, and I'm going to go trust Anthony Miller or Jesper Horstead or Javon Wims to go get it because you know Byron Jones is most likely going to be showing uh, Allen Robinson. And if he does that, if he shows that confidence, now he hasn't shown that confidence against most teams other than Detroit, but I would like to see a couple of those throws. And if he makes a few of those, it's going to put pressure on Dallas. And Dallas isn't a great um, – big or quick strike offense they're a little bit as you said uh with jason garrett more combination a little more predictable a little more force feed the run and if you put a team like that behind on the scoreboard you can really start to get crank guys like khalil mack up and put some pressure on them when they have to pass and limits that play action look nobody's really going to buy off on the run if you're down by 10 points or 17 points late in the game but it's going to pin their ears back and come with a pass rush so the bears have a couple of levers that they can pull uh in this game and i'd like to see mitch continue some of that progress now is he going to play as well as he did against the lions i don't think so the lions were 28th rated i think in pass defense um, and spots better doesn't sound all that great but it is a lot better uh in this league it's much more towards the middle and much less towards the bottom and mitch has not shown out against teams that are even decent so i hope he can use as many of those things as possible i wouldn't bet folding money on it no i think i agree with you but i think it it is interesting because and i think we're, we can get to prediction time here but i i think it's interesting because this team had such high expectations coming in right and so we expected the offense to take that at least at least a step forward I, I, maybe not a leap but a step forward and instead they took several steps back and i it's it's interesting at one point I was like, just beat the dang Lions. You're right. Like, that's, hey, just, just do that for me. Can you just beat the Lions? I'm not asking for much. I just don't want to hear it from Lions fans, right? And so that happened. Okay. So, like, if nothing else, it is not as catastrophic as it could have been. Okay. So let's just at least, let's at True. least put that on the table that they at least didn't lose to the Lions. Okay. Check. Now, what they've done is they've done enough. To where you look at this Cowboys team coming in and you think, well, they're honoring the Mike Singletary this week, you know, two-time defensive player of the year. Maybe the Bears defense gets charged up as Singletary will be there and he'll make some sort of rah-rah speech and maybe they'll just get fired up and go out and you know you think about Singletary's great performances against Dallas over the years and you just say ah maybe yeah you can start talking yourself into this idea that yeah the Bears, Bears are going to win this thing right and I have 
we're recording this for the first time on a Sunday, so we're well in front of the lines. So I, we have no idea what the betting lines are. But so we're just gonna. Uh, it's three Cowboys by. Three. Oh, already out. Okay, so yep. I guess that makes sense since they both played on Thursday. So Cowboys are three point favorites. You know what? I I think the Bears win. I I take them in the money line. I I don't think it's gonna be a well. I think it'll be close. But I I think that they're playing well enough to take advantage of a team that's playing pretty poorly, and that's what Dallas has been in the last month. Yeah, the Bears are on a bit of a roll. They've rolled off a couple of victories here, again, against bottom feeder teams, against bad teams. But look, you can't control your schedule, and you have to beat the bad teams, uh, the teams you're expected to beat. The Bears have done that last couple of weeks. I wouldn't say decisively in any way. The Cowboys present more of a challenge. They have more talent, and they are more middle of the road than the teams they just ran over, the Giants and the Lions. But they are a team that is uh, descending right now. If you're looking at their arc or their trajectory throughout the season, there was sort of open warfare in the locker room after their loss on Thanksgiving Day. That's the time when you want that team to show up on your schedule. Now, their back's against the wall. They could respond uh, to adversity, come together, and, and rip off a tremendous performance. I don't see that happening. It's possible, but I think that's the lesser of the two probabilities. The Bears, on the other hand, feeling pretty decent about themselves. Mitch coming off arguably his best game of the year and looking much more like the quarterback many Bears fans hoped he would be. That's a pretty good lineup you've got them coming into your house your team's doing pretty well their team's doing not so well um stumbling around a bit it's a good spot i think the bears will win the game probably be cl- didn't know they were honoring singletary i think honestly if i was singletary i wouldn't make a speech i would just go in and do the iron mike eyes i would do the samurai mike eyes and just stand there and stare at them all with those wide platter pupils that Singletary used to look at the uh, opposing offense with. I think that would probably do it. That would motivate me at least to go out and kick the crap out of the Cowboys. But um, EJ, EJ, have I ever, have I told that the story of beating Singletary on the podcast? No. So I'm uh, now I'm fascinated. Out at a conf- right. So I'm out at a conference. It's like May or June or something like that, and. I run a ha- I'm running a half marathon in Virginia, and I rented a car from D.C., drove down, ran the race, and then drove back to D.C. and got on a plane to fly home. So my connection was through Minneapolis, and I'm kind of waiting around, and I've got, I'm an idiot, right? I've got a Bears shirt, I've got a Bears hat, and at the time I was carrying around a Bears duffel bag, Okay. Yeah, you're so an idiot. That's totally I got cool, the, but you're an idiot. I got the flag out, right? I mean, I'm I'm I'm, yep. I'm presenting to everybody that I'm a Bears fan, and I'm I'm chilling at the gate, and I'm I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's Mike Singletary, okay, <laughs> and he's with his kid, and so I I had uh I had gotten onto an earlier flight because I was able to get back to DC quicker, so I got like a really crappy seat in the back of the plane. And so I'm getting on the plane. I'm expecting him to be in first class. He wasn't. He was sitting in the absolute back row. And I'm like one row, two rows ahead of him. And so I'm thinking, all right, what do I do? Do you, do you say something? Do you not say something? I don't know. I think my mom will kill me if I don't say something to him. And so I get this whole idea that like he's going to be the last person off the plane. 
And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll leave the plane and then I'll kind of just like hang out a little bit in the little uh, runway before you get up into terminal. Yep. Uh, and so kind of hung back, let a couple people pass and he came out and I said, Mr. Singletary, it'd be an honor if I could just get a quick picture with you before we get up into the crowd. I'm a huge Bears fan, obviously, with all my <laughs> with all my stuff. <laughs> and he looks at me, and his I'm I'm this is dead serious. His eyes do the get big thing, and he goes, "We got the card show today." And I go, "Was I at the what the card show? No, I wasn't. Look, paid a lot of money to have their picture with me." And I'm like, "What? What? Huh?" I go, okay. hey man, that's cool. Don't worry about it. No, no big deal. Uh, but I was running a running a half marathon this morning. I was certainly not at a card show today. And he goes, fine, real quick. And so I take this picture with him, like on an iPad. I've got a goofy smile, and he has the like like he's the most miserable person in the entire world because he's taking this picture. And you might think like, God, oh, that's kind of a terrible story, Jeff. It's actually kind of the best story ever because if he was like the nicest guy, it would be like, really? Samurai Mike's really nice. No, he was kind of a jerk. Like he kind of had an edge to him and he gave me, he literally gave me the eyes. And there was this moment that I was like, I think, I think he's going to spear me. I think that's going to happen right now. (laughs) I, that's a great story. I, I find nothing wrong with that story. I, if, you know, in hindsight, which is always the benefit of hindsight, right? I think I would have led with the my mom thing. Look, uh, Mr. Singletary, my mom is going to kill you if I don't get a picture. She well, is gonna kill the biggest Singletary. Bears fan in the entire world. Now, well, no, she's going to kill me I if I don't get a picture with you, Mr. Singletary. At, at some point. Uh, at, yeah, at, I think I would have led with that. Yep, strong, yep, yep. strong. And the eyes, I also might have foregone on the photographic evidence and just gone, oh, hey, man, I got the eyes. That's plenty cool. We're good. <laughs> We're square here. I appreciate it. That's I'm going to remember that forever. It's going to be blazed into my nightmares. Um, yeah, at that point, what are you going to lose? He's not going to take the picture with you? Um as a friend of mine used to say when we were out at the bars, what's the worst that's going to happen? She's already not going out with me. Yeah, well, that's that's true. I did feel like he really did not want to do that, but he was, he was kind enough to do it. And uh, I don't know. He was uh, – I don't know. I think I have three three inches of height on him. So um, I uh, – Maybe maybe he was. He's still gonna. Yeah. Well, you. I'm saying like I'm. I, I got no chance. I get that. But yeah. He was so he was a coach at Minnesota at the time. So that's why he was flying yeah. back to Minnesota. But sure. the whole thing about the card show and just kind of like grilling me and I was just like, what is happening? You know, like like I'm. My favorite part about that story is that you were dressed like a tourist and you took the picture on an iPad. Oh, that's, oh, yeah. That's it for me. That's those are the highlights. Well, yeah. This was back. Was I mean, I didn't. I didn't have a. I don't think I had a smartphone at the time. This one, you know, this one. I know. I'm just, I'm just saying, as a, as a listener, my two favorite parts of the story. <laughs> anyway, enough of my uh, embarrassing myself in front of Mike Singletary. Uh, he is the bobblehead this week. So, let's get to the beers and let's get out of here. So, uh, Bourbon County Stout again. Um, I think it's delicious. It's warming. I don't think it's overpowering with the alcohol. I think it's. I think it's masked enough with all the the flavor notes, but it is quite high. I, I mean, I 
I would really struggle to drink this entire thing by myself, so it's nice that I'm able to split it. Um, some people might think that's a little crazy, but... Ah, cheers to your wife. So 14.7 is... Um, that's quite quite a bit, but, I, you know, it's, uh, again, it's probably not the most economical of bourbon barrel stouts that you can get, but... Um, it's, uh, it's nice to have the year and kind of check in with it. And uh, I bought two, I think I'm going to throw the other one in the basement for a year and see if any aging does anything to it. So what about you? Uh, oh, I'm pretty happy with bad Santa. It's great stuff. I love Pelican brewing. Um, on the side, it says you about, you better not cry. You better not pout. And here's telling you why bad Santa has arrived. Brewed for a limited time each holiday season. I'll just skip to the bas- the last line. Bad Santa doesn't care if you've been naughty or nice, so long as you have this beer on your list. Um, it's great. It lists 65 IBUs. It does have a bite. It's not, um, for those of you that haven't had Cascadian Dark Ales or CDAs, they tend to be very, very dark. They tend to have a little bit of bite than a hop presence is certainly there again not overpowering it's got a nice deep character to it um i enjoy it it's a nice counterpoint to some of the sweeter beers for the holiday it's not something i would sit down and drink like multiples of but um i do enjoy it when i find it um makes a nice sort of alternate to the ninkasi slayer i had last week and just sort of rounds out that holiday season um love the picture of the pelican on the front he looks like he could give a rip whether or not you're drinking the beer which is always fun um but yeah in terms of getting out of here so thursday night game coming up with the dallas cowboys bears have a decent chance to win um follow all the information about the game the bears and everything else on windy city gridiron you can find uh, other pests there as well with Robert Schmitz and um, Bill Zimmerman doing their podcast as well. Great work. Check them out. If you enjoy ours, you'll love theirs. Follow Jeff at Gridironborn on Twitter. Follow me at the Draftsman FB, as in football. Follow the podcast, of course, at Bears Over Beers. Send your holiday beer recommendations. Um, Jeff's in the middle of the country, and I am out west. Uh, we would love to hear what you guys are putting down this holiday season, what your favorites are that really signaled the beginning or um, full festivity of the holiday season. But until then, uh, get ready for the game on Thursday night and bear down. <laughs>